It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. While, of course, we are preparing for the end of Title 42, based on the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's decision that it will end on May 23rd. That does not mean that the border is open beginning on May 23rd. We continue to enforce the laws of this country. Yeah, right. Okay, so that's that's the trusted head of the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, declaring that Title 42, which protects us, American citizens, from people coming across the border with communicable diseases, including COVID, which has been in place for a long time, which was going to be lifted today because the Biden administration decided to ignore it. Mayorkas is all about this, but of course he's telling us they are, you know, the the border is protected, nothing to look at here. So what's happened since we last talked? Well, on Friday, U.S. District Judge Robert Summerhays Robert Summerhays uh, decided that uh, that order ending Title 42 should be stopped. So he declared that on Friday, he said uh, uh, it didn't have any, I think 20 different states had sued to stop the Biden administration from lifting that, including Arizona and Texas. Uh, but um, here's the, the skinny is this. I mean, let me just give you some of the details on this. President Trump had applied uh, Title 42 to every single country uniformly. And as a result of that, 98% of people trying to get across the border illegally were turned back. And then President Biden came in and um, just decided not to enforce it. And so um, they, the expulsions from 42 kept dwindling and dwindling. And so uh, now it's virtually not enforced anyway. And then uh, the other thing that happened on the border was that they, because there was such an influx of people coming over the border, uh, border patrol agents started having to do things like, you know, change diapers and take care of kids. You remember that's happened before. And so they were not able to actually watch the borders, and that's been another contributing factor to the reason why 750,000 border crossers have been able to evade apprehension. Now, I don't know the time frame on that because I know a lot more have come across than that, but that's uh, according. this is a Fox story I'm reading this from. And then, of course, uh, the usually this time of the year is when so many people do cross the border illegally because it's getting, you know, it's not so cold. And so the Border Patrol uh, usually apprehends about 1,400 illegal border crossings a day. Now it has jumped to 7,000, and they are protecting, I believe, something like 18,000. It's horrendous, uh, but the problem is uh, Title 42 has been virtually not enforced anyway, uh, even though I think it's important that that judge made sur- sort of drew a line in the sand and called the administration out. It really probably won't make much difference on the border. And that's the sad part of this. And meanwhile, today is another important day because we are um, told that the Supreme Court 
may release their decision on whether Roe versus Wade should remain the law of the land. And you know, of course, what that means. You know, all hell will break loose. Um, we, they've been picketing and protesting in the justices' private, you know, neighborhoods, which is illegal, but they've been doing it anyway. They've been exacting all kinds of just viciousness. Uh, signs that I tried to, I couldn't even read some of those signs to you last week because they're like, what, something like a, a fetus is an appetizer or tasty or something like that. Just really, that just gives you a taste of, taste of how horrible, uh, how from the pit of hell this love of abortion comes. And so today is the day that the, doesn't mean they will, because this is the time of year when the Supreme Court, you know, brings out lots of their decisions. It's the close to the end of their session. They've already made these decisions, uh, but they don't release them to the public and, unless they do it. They do it strategically. So it could be Roe versus Wade today. And in, in the issue of abortion, Florida has suspended an abortion clinic just to give you an example of what's happening here. And why did they do that? Because there are three cases. The husband of a patient uh, who was a, uh, had, went to that clinic, it's called, let's see, it's called American Family Planning. Isn't that funny how they name that? American Family Radio, American Family Association, American Family Planning, just a nice little place where they take babies apart in the womb and destroy them, kill them. A little different. False name, as usual. So in one case, clinic workers urged the husband of a patient to take her to a hospital in Mobile, Alabama, rather than a closer hospital in Pensacola that had a transfer agreement with the clinic delaying her treatment. As a result, she needed to be resuscitated and required a transfusion to replace blood loss. Another case in March, a woman in, uh, had to be taken to an emergency room, a woman who had been serviced in that you know American family planning clinic in Pensacola, uh, was taken to the emergency room at a Pensacola hospital with bleeding and low blood pressure. She needed emergency surgery, had to have a hysterectomy. And then last year, a third patient required a uterine perforation repair. Now, look, this is not news. This is ha- this is what happens in abortion clinics. And for decades, they have not been monitored. There's no clean safety standards. They've just been ignored. And that's why the Kermit Gosnell story broke out of Philadelphia. He was It was like a butcher shop. And so that's why women are actually harmed. It's horrific. And yet there are people out in the streets, you know, determined that this remain legal when it hurts women as well as babies, um, kills babies and hurts women. How about that? Nancy Pelosi, meanwhile, as you know, has been banned from receiving Holy Communion. I think it's really amazing to read what the Archdiocese has said. It's the Archdiocese of San Francisco, no less, Salvatore J. Cordelion. Interesting in San Francisco that they would take this kind of a stand, but God bless them. He actually wrote uh, to her, and let me just read some of the words that he wrote to her. He says, a Catholic, legi- uh, um, a Catholic legislator who supports procured abortion after knowing the teaching of the church commits a manifestly grave sin, which is a cause of most serious scandal to others. Therefore, universal church law provides that such person, persons are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. Um, there, there's a lot more to say. In fact, the Catholic bishops, the U.S. Conference, released this statement. From earliest times, Christians sharply distinguished themselves from surrounding pagan cultures by rejecting abortion and infanticide. Given the scientific fact that a human life begins at conception, the only moral norm needed to understand the Church's opposition is the principle that to each and every human life has inherent dignity and thus must be treated with, treated with respect 
do to the human person. And then, of course, that just takes me to kind of some illustrations of how, how, how debased we have become as a culture. Those that push abortion are just shocking. I want to give you an example of this. You probably heard some of this last week, but since I wasn't there, uh, wasn't here, I wanted to make sure you did hear it. Uh, this is um, this is a congressman interviewing an abortion ab- advocate named Amy Arambi, and I'll just let you listen to the exchange. This is a hearing on Capitol Hill last week, clip thirteen. Um, what do you say a woman is? I believe that everyone can identify for themselves. Um, do, do you believe then that men can become pregnant and have abortions? Yes. Yeah, so then she, uh, Mike Johnson takes up the baton of interviewing her, and this is the exchange between him and Amy Arambi. Clip 14. Ma'am, you testified that you are, quote, unapologetic in seeking unrestricted abortion access. So I'm wondering at what point... Is it not okay to abort a child? What, what age of gestation? I trust all people to determine what they can and can't do with their bodies. Full stop. Okay. I also believe that human rights, um, including access to the medical care, medical care that they need within their communities, is something that should be afforded everyone. Great. Okay. So you, you support late-term abortion? I support all people and trust That means late-term abortion. Do you support partial birth abortion? In other words, the child is half-delivered, and then the woman says, my right, I want to take that one out. You support that? I trust people to make decisions about wow. the body. Wow. Okay. What, what about... Um, so, so abortion should be allowed then, by your definition, for any reason, for any purpose, at any stage, right? I trust people to make decisions about their body, and then when relevant, I think that they need to consult their medical p- practitioners okay. and not is, if it is, Listen, let me just ask you this question. If it is not lawful and morally acceptable to take the life of a 10-year-old child, I assume you agree with that, right? That would be wrong, correct? I believe that, okay. that is Okay, and wrong. a two-year-old child, same thing. That would be murder. We would all agree that's wrong. Then what is the principal distinction between the human being that is two years old or nine months old or one week old or an hour old than one that is eight inches further up the birth canal in the utero. What's the difference? Why is it okay in the latter case and not the former cases? I trust people to determine what to do with their own bodies. Wow. Full stop. Wow. Full stop indeed. And that describes right there exactly what this is about. There's a legal issue here, but underneath that is a moral issue. It's about reality. It's about science the advancement of medical technology, you're talking about unborn children. And your, your full stop is that you will support the termination of that child at any time. And that is frightening. And that is why this decision should be turned to the popular will of the people. And hopefully they'll protect the sanctity of every single human life and live up to the standards of our Declaration of Independence. So I yield back. Gentlemen, yield back. Uh, Congressman Mike Johnson of uh, Louisiana. And I just, I play, you know, we talk... I start, we talk with Title 42 and lifting those COVID restrictions, you know, locking down America, you know, continuing these, this masking ridiculous on airplanes that have these incredible filters now as a result of this pandemic, um, and yet letting in the whole world at the border. Yeah, so elections uh, are the way we solve this. 
We have to vote. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason we're in this condition is because we've elected some really bad people to office. And so, today is another primary in four different states, Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, and Texas. There's a runoff. And so I'm going to talk to you just a little bit. I'm going to touch on a few of these things, and then we're going actually to go to Georgia and talk at more detail. We've talked about Alabama quite a bit. According to the New York Times, Mo Brooks is rising. He's uh, surging. And, of course, the reason that he fell back is because President Trump endorsed him, then removed the endorsement. Uh, Some mysterious PAC started running ads in Florida. In Florida! For the Alabama Senate race, claiming that Mo, you know, had turned his back on President Trump, and shortly after that, President Trump withdrew his endorsement. And so that's when uh, Mo started floundering. He's a congressman, as you know. Congressman Mo Brooks has been just a stalwart on all the issues. He's a fighter. It's just amazing. And his opponents... Um, our Katie Bread, Katie is uh, was uh, is the pick of Senator Shelby, who, from I'm just telling you publicly, is a disgrace to me, complete disgrace. A man who has enriched himself. Tell me why the Southern states, filled with so many Christ followers, have elected so many corrupt people and then let them stay there. Katie Britt and uh, Richard Shelby are responsible for Doug Jones, who's pro-choice, pro-everything that people in Alabama hate. They helped him get elected. Yeah, so, but that Katie's running ahead, um, but uh, Mo, is, uh, Mo Brooks is neck and neck with her, and Mike Durant is the third. As I understand it, Mike Durant is the, um, uh, is the, oh, what's, I can't think of the name of the, it's the uh, Never Trump candidate. He's the guy who, you know, pretends he's America first, but has been a never-Trumper. So it's just, um, that's that's the, the choice today in Alabama in the primary. And then in Arkansas, we've talked repeatedly. Uh, we've talked to Doc Washburn, who's running for governor there. There are other races there, but these are the ones I'm familiar with. Uh, running against Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who has been a tremendous disappointment for conservatives in Arkansas. Doc Washburn is a, a cumulus radio talk show host who was fired for not taking the vaccine, but a pretty impressive guy as I've interviewed him. And it sounds to me like a little more principled than Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I know, you know she's like, oh, I love her. I love the way she handled the press secretary job under Trump, but she has not taken principled st- stands on issues. She's refused to debate. She's refused to speak out on pro-life issues. It doesn't matter what they say if they do nothing. And then, of course, in Texas, uh, there is going to be a runoff for the attorney general and uh, other races as well. So those are the states you need to do your research. But coming back, we're going to talk about the great state of Georgia. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. When an unplanned pregnancy happens to a mom in crisis, preborn clinics are there. I was extremely scared. The father did not want the child, and he had made me choose him or the baby. This mother chose life after meeting with preborn counselors and seeing her baby on ultrasound. I just felt so blessed and the hand of God on me so strong. And I knew then on I was going to serve God and I was going to keep this child and I was going to love him just like God loved me so unconditionally. Preborn centers met this mom in her darkest hour, helping her to choose not only life for her baby, but life in Jesus. He was our little miracle child. God's timing was impeccable. Preborn clinics are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms to their preborn babies and helping them choose life. To find out more, visit preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. 
This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Patricia Ross, Assistant Secretary for Congressional and Legislative Affairs. She serves as the principal on all matters involving congressional and legislative affairs and its impact on the Department of Veterans Affairs. Proverbs 19.20 reminds us of the importance of taking advice. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Right now with this in mind, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for Patricia Ross as she advises leadership within her department. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country, and we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Still no word on who won the U.S. Senate Republican primary in Pennsylvania. David McCormick and Dr. Oz neck and neck could be days before we know the winner. President Trump is advising Dr. Oz to declare victory, suggested there might have been voter fraud. Well, there's no proof of voter fraud, and it would be next to impossible to cheat in the GOP primary race. NBC News reports President Trump is now backing away from his pick in the Georgia gubernatorial race. Former Senator David Perdue trailing incumbent Governor Brian Kemp by more than 30 points. The general thought here is that Trump was more interested in beating Kemp than actually backing Perdue. That being said, President Trump's name and endorsement still carry a lot of weight in this country, but ultimately, as we just learned in Pennsylvania and soon to be in Georgia, all politics is local. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Okay, so you probably didn't catch that. I'm guessing that was Stacey Abrams. She was speaking uh, at an event over the weekend, Gwinnett Democrats Bluetopia Gala in Norcross. And what she said was, I am tired of hearing about how we're the best state in the country to do business when we are the worst state and the country to live in. It goes on to talk about her wealth. She has uh, $3 million, and she was, as I recall, uh, um, I don't think she had a high-level position when she started her her political career, but now she's worth $3 million. She owns at least two houses in Georgia. Uh, she has just been given, I think, uh, something like a oh, million dollars by George Soros for her second gubernatorial run, and no one else is challenging her. So uh, that makes the Georgia governor's race interesting, but there's more to talk about than just that race. And I've asked Jenny Beth Martin to join us this morning. Jenny is the head of Tea Party Patriots, good friend. Uh, and she, But she's from Georgia, and I know she knows everything that's happening there. Jenny Beth, good morning, and thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. 
Hey, Jenny Beth, you guys, uh, Tea Party Patriots, are always doing a million things. But on the election this year, broadly speaking, what, what are you guys doing? Are you choosing different states? Kind of give us an idea of what you're doing. Um, we are working on election integrity right now, mainly. So we're working for a 501c4. We will likely engage more in the elections themselves um, in the fall using our super PACs. But right now, what we've been working on in Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, um, and Wisconsin is making sure that the local people who are concerned about election integrity know how to create and build um, local election integrity task forces. And these task forces go to election board meetings, pay attention to what the decisions are that their clerks or supervisors of elections are making, become poll watchers and poll workers. Workers may be called election officials in Virginia or inspectors of elections in um, Wisconsin or Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, they call them election judges, but they're the people who open the polling places and process voters on election day. Yeah, just great. making sure that we are in, engaged in being a check and balance on the election system. You know, just a quick question. I don't know if you have an opinion about this, but I find myself being really suspicious of this runoff, or not runoff, but this neck-and-neck vote situation in Pennsylvania between Meminaz and uh, David McCormick. Because it's so close, and it's taking so long, I don't understand that, Jenny. That just makes me suspicious. Does it make you suspicious? Well, I it it makes me suspicious, but more than being suspicious, it undermines um, the faith in the outcome of the election and the integrity, not the yes. outcome, but the the it undermines the faith in the ability to process an election. And people are saying on the news, well, of course, it's going to take long. There are so many absentee ballots. Well, our system should be able to scan those ballots rapidly. Um Less than a decade ago, maybe less than two decades ago, somehow on election night, we were able to process millions yes, of ballots exactly. in Scantron, um, and it didn't, take, it didn't take all day, so the, or weeks. So it just, it, there's something wrong with the system when you can't process absentee ballots that quickly. Yeah, I agree. And I just uh, think, what in the world's going on there? But all right, well, let's move uh, to your home state of Georgia, which you know very well. Jenny Beth, and I don't know all the races, but of course, let me start with the one that confuses me, um, and that's the governor's race, because conservatives are split on this. You've got Brian Kemp, who's the incumbent, and you've got uh, Sonny Perdue, uh, who is uh, David Perdue, I should say, <laughs> David Perdue, uh, who is a former congressman, and he wants a former senator, and he is the pick of President Trump, and of course, then... Um, Brian Kemp has the unfortunate, uh, for him, unfortunate reputation of sort of not being strong during the election contest there. I would really be interested to know where you come down on this. I mean, what do you think is happening in Uh, um, that race? Well, I think one thing is very odd that's happening in the news report uh, before before this interview that you're doing with me said that President, they were reporting an an MSNBC or an NBC article where it said that Trump was no longer supporting David Perdue. And on on Thursday night or Friday of last week, Trump came out on his new social media network and said that that just isn't true. He is still supporting David, David 
produced. So what I find interesting is that there are false narratives going around from the mainstream media outlets and from liberal media outlets, and those um, narratives are being picked up and treated as truth. And that's very similar to the same kind of lies that came out about about Donald Trump's campaign in 2016 that wound up being presented as truth. So it's a close race. But here's what's close about it. It's not so much close because David Perdue and uh, Brian Kemp are neck and neck. It's close because Brian Kemp has to get over 50% plus one vote in order to avoid a runoff. And if he does not get over 50%, then he and whoever the next highest person, which would likely be David Perdue, would then go to a runoff election. So if the majority of the voters vote against Kemp in the primary, then Kemp has to run again in a runoff. He's trying to avoid that situation. And the reality is usually if an incumbent goes to a runoff in Georgia, they lose the runoff. Oh, that's interesting. A couple of things that I read, and because you're also really great at business, you're a businesswoman, I'm assuming you know something about this. Don't just the news reported last week that Governor Kemp has secured um, 1.5 billion dollars of incentives for an electric car company, which he has hidden the details of, at least through this election. And maybe it's not it's not a secret anymore because, well, just the news reported it. I don't know if anyone else is. It turns out it's a, an electric car company whose largest investor is George Soros. And not only is it tax dollars from Georgians, but it's the association with Soros, which is problematic for a lot of people. What are your thoughts about that? Well, um, I have kind of mixed thoughts about it. Supposedly, there will be um, a lot of jobs for Georgians if this electric car company goes comes to Georgia, um, and that is that's good for Georgians to to have have jobs. But it, it, it is coming at the cost of taxpayers. The, the company is getting so many different kind of tax breaks and tax incentives that the other taxpayers in Georgia are going to wind up having to, to um, cover the cost. I think that there's a no-cost or low-cost lease that will go into to place for the, for the factory for um, many, many years. I, I don't know many other small businesses they get to have a um, a lease free property. I'm sure they'd have to build the uh, the building and the factory there still, but the property itself would be lease free. That doesn't happen very often for most business owners, so it winds up um, seeming it 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 just doesn't sit well. It seems more like it's picking winners and losers rather than allowing the free markets to work. If their company is good and viable, um, they should be able to. To operate without such extreme incentives that other taxpayers and business owners in the state do not get. Yeah. Um, and one point five billion dollars, just to just to yeah. reassert, one point five billion dollars of Georgia tax money. I think that's amazing. Well, it it is. And then what kind of um, one thing that we've seen is that in Georgia we've given many, many, many tax breaks to to um, filmmakers and producers and, and television shows. So they come to Georgia and they film in Georgia and they get all sorts of 
of tax incentives for doing so, and it creates jobs for Georgians, and that is a good thing for Georgians. I do agree with that. But then these same exact companies want to change the um, leadership and the elected officials in Georgia, the very ones that gave them the ability to produce their, their movies uh, so cheap in Georgia, unlike what can happen in Hollywood, and then they want to bring Hollywood politics to Georgia. I don't want to see leftist um, Green New Deal type politics coming to Georgia with the the um, factory. Yeah, I guess, uh, and one more word about that because we need to move on, but um, the deep issue to me, Jenny Beth, is I don't know if people realize, or maybe Brian Kemp doesn't realize, that what he's doing is expediting this whole move to actually take cars away from Americans, make it impossible for them to have independence and drive. Uh, it's a cooperation with the destruction of the fossil fuel industry. And I, I, I think I would think if I were a Georgian and I had a big SUV or a truck, you have to remember that this is, a, this is an assault against your freedom as an, the American heritage is driving and freedom. It's a, it revolutionized our country, you know, and the when Henry Ford, you know, developed the Model T, people became independent. And that's what they want to move away from that. And I think that's a bad, bad thing personally. So that that uh, runoff is to, uh, that runoff, that primary is today in Georgia. But now the other thing is your Senate race. Uh, that's a pretty big deal. You've got, uh, you've got Raphael Warnock, who has a huge war chest of money. And he is the uh, incumbent one. He's been in two years, right now? Two years? That, that's correct. Uh, so, the uninspired term of Johnny Isaacson. Okay. So my understanding, okay, uh, then I want your understanding because it's deeper than mine, but the Herschel Walker, he's absolutely, he's so engaging. He really is. Uh, but they are concerned that he will not be able to uh, go up against Raphael Warnock. I think a lot of it has to do with verbal skills, debating. I'm not sure what else. But what are your thoughts about that? Well, I, certainly Raphael Warnock is, Senator Warnock is um, going to be very gifted um, when it comes to public speaking. He is a minister and he uh, is the pastor or was the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. I think that what's going to happen in, in this general election, assuming that uh, Herschel Walker becomes the nominee and the elections haven't happened, so we just have to understand that that we have to get through the primary first. But um, people outside of Georgia do not understand the importance of Ebenezer Baptist Church. It is an icon in Georgia. It is the church where Martin Luther King Jr. was the pastor. And so you really wind up having some cultural icons in the general election if Herschel Walker is the nominee because Herschel Walker led the uh, UGA football team to the national championship back in 1980. So anyone who is about my age and older, maybe a little bit younger than me and older, knows Herschel Walker. We grew up, that was a household name for us. But at the exact same turn, Ebenezer Baptist Church and Martin Luther King Jr. were household names to our household oh. names to every Georgian. So it's going to be an interesting race, a very interesting race. Yeah, according to the polls, Herschel Walker's way ahead uh, in the primary. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's supposedly very, very far ahead. And you and and, and then you could just explain that to us. And then, uh, but then Raphael Warnock. Then you've got a large. I don't know what percentage of black voters you have in Georgia, but there are a lot certainly in Atlanta. And so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, in Georgia. Is the the other race that comes to mind? Really, go ahead. I just. 
I just want to say it really will. And I think that people outside of Georgia just, you have to understand Ebenezer Baptist Church is um, very, very, very special to the African-American community in Georgia and, frankly, to to non-African-Americans as well. Very interesting. Well, all right, so another race that comes to my mind, of course, is Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, the, the, the attacks on her have been vicious, no question about it. Uh, but do you know the status of that race and how that's going? I'm, I'm sure that she will win the the primary. Um, I think that the um, the legal case against her trying to get her off the ballot that the people who filed that suit have now appealed. Um, it was a rather liberal judge who ruled in Marjorie Taylor Greene's favor. It's not like it was a um, a, a, a staunch conservative judge, but the, the judge ruled the, the proper way in that that case. And I think that she will win the general election as well. The people in her her district really love her and appreciate her. Well, she's a, she's a force to be reckoned with. You know, what the thing I like about her, Jenny Beth, is she's a smart gal. I like that. I like I, I like smart women, and um, uh, she's she, I know she I think was. Um, She's better informed now. She may have said some things. She was a private citizen. We all, you know, par- private citizens don't have access sometimes to uh, more information than some of us who've been around the block a few times. And I so excuse some of her uh, less than pointed remarks in the past, maybe misguided, but I don't think terrible, not false on purpose. But I think she's really, she has great judgment, and I'm I'm glad to hear that. What what else is happening? How about Vernon Jordan? What's he running for? I'd forgotten. Which Oh, it's um, he's running for a Congress, and um, it, that race is, has been interesting. I have received campaign material for it through text messages, which is weird because I don't live in that congressional rate, um, seat, and it, it's been um, a, a bit vicious towards Vernon jo- Jones, but I think that he's going to... Um, it will be interesting. I don't know anything about the polling numbers there, but he is Trump endorsed. He's an enthusiastic campaigner. I know that he was out on Friday waving signs. I know this because my dad texted me telling me, I just saw him. He was waving signs. <laughs> so um, he's, he is campaigning very, very hard. There are a couple other races to pay attention to in Georgia. Okay. All right. The lieutenant governor race, Trump has in, endorsed Bert Jones there. The secretary of state's race is, is especially important to people who've been working on election integrity. We have the um, secretary of state, Rafi, um, I started to say Raphael Warnock, goodness gracious, um, <laughs> Brad Raffensperger, Brad, okay. Brad Raffensperger, and uh, Jody Heiss is primarying him. Jody Heiss Ooh. is uh, Trump endorsed. And yes. um, people who are upset about the 2020 election, I think they'll be voting for, for Jody Heiss in that in that particular race. And then another one that most people don't pay very much attention to, Patrick Witt is running for state insurance commissioner. He um, is endorsed by President Trump. He's running against an incumbent. And he worked on President Trump's legal team in Georgia back in 2020. That's where I got to to know Patrick Witt, and he also worked in the um, Trump administration in D.C. for Office of Personnel and Management. So it's a race that doesn't normally get a lot of attention, but President Trump is actually endorsed in that race as well. Well, that's interesting. All right, well, so those are the things to watch for for people in Georgia. 
uh, that are listening. On the Jody Heist thing, Jody was a great uh, congressman. He's out now. He's not. He's not in Congress now, is he? Have I lost track? No, of he that? still is. He still is oh, in okay. Congress, so he'll have to finish his term this year, um, one way or the the other, uh, with the Secretary of State's race. But he's out campaigning and having to to um, be a member of Congress at the same time. Jenny Beth, I you you've answered the question that you guys are really not involved in the primary. So this, if you don't want to answer this, I just was curious to know if there's any other races in the country. Today's Alabama, Georgia, Arkansas, and the Texas runoff. Do you have any thoughts about any of those races? Um, Cindy, I just haven't followed those as closely as I normally would because I've given over 70 speeches this year so far on election <laughs> integrity. Um, well, actually, since late November of last year, but 70 speeches. Um, and I broke my arm and had surgery on my arm in that time as well. We just have to make sure that we're not allowing what happened in 2020 to happen again, prevent it, prevent the issues that we had before they ever take place and do all that we can to restore faith in the outcome of our election. It's so important. If we can't trust our elections, um, I think that our representative democracy, our republic is at risk. And I'm determined to help help do all I can to, to fix that. You know, uh, just say a word about all of the incredible efforts that are being made by Cleta Mitchell uh, and you uh, uh, Ken Cuccinelli, I just had Ken on last week because they're working on, you know, score, like scoring uh, through a, a questionnaire uh, candidates for secretary of state and local races on how they feel about election integrity. It's a whole tool that they're offering. What? How would you describe the scope of what's happening with cleaning things up? Well, I think that what is happening, it's more than, it is certainly cleaning up. Um, it is also building a permanent election integrity infrastructure in our country so that we are constantly making sure that we have um, honest and transparent elections where it's easy to vote but hard to cheat. And it is not something that can just be done for 2022 or 2024. It, it takes constant vigilance um, and a lot of work. And I think we've taken for granted so our elections for entirely too long, and we, we have to pay attention to that process. And there are no. a lot of hardworking good election workers in this country. Um, so it's not a bash against those people who work so hard to run the elections on election day, but, but problems happen, issues arise, and we need to do all we can to prevent those from happening um, and certainly prevent them or resolve them before voting begins. And yep. then you just have issues like we talked about with Pennsylvania, where we've got to figure out how to process absentee ballots better, more efficiently, and accurately. Yeah, and there are so many people working on this behind the scenes. Catherine Engerbrecht, and of course, the, the new movie that, um, the, the, I want to say 10,000 Mules, but I think it's 2,000 Mules. 2,000 two, two Mules. <laughs> Probably more like 10, but anyway, they, they qualified to 2,000. Anyway, uh, Jenny Beth Martin, ahead of Tea Party Patriots. Uh, it's amazing. I, I just have to say, Jenny, as I say bye to you, that uh, the Tea Party Patriots you know, survived that purging of the Tea Party, and you guys have main, maintained strength, and you've done, you've accomplished so much for the country, and um, I'm, I'm really proud of you for that. So I just want to say that. So Tea Party Patriots Thank is a great you. resource for all of you, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. You take care, okay? Thank you. Bye bye. All, all right, Sandy Rios. Oh, coming back, I've got. Oh, yes, I've got some incredible things. Just you know, like fasten your seatbelts. I've got to play some clips for you that will. Actually, it would be kind of disturbing, but just 
things you need to know. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. Hi, I'm Mark Harrington, founder of the pro-life group Created Equal and host of Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show. Created Equal is all about saving the lives of unborn children. Each week, I cover the latest pro-life news and feature interviews with unsung heroes from across the nation who are making a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice. Join me every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for The Mark Harrington Show here on American Family Radio and discover how you, too, can help protect the lives of the most innocent among us. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. What is the proper role of government? Romans chapter 13 outlines government's function, and it is basically this, to restrain or to punish wickedness and to reward righteousness. Government was never intended to be our savior. Government is our servant. As we focus on our civil occupations and our civic engagement responsibilities, let us never forget that government is not our God. We don't put our trust in it. We put our trust in our Christ. As a result, what we want is a government that stays out of our way and leaves room for our church to do our business of fulfilling the Great Commission. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. You ever make a change and then think, why didn't I do this years ago? Well, that's how people feel about switching to MediShare for their health care, especially now with inflation the way it is. People are very happy with the savings. Most families save about $500 a month when they switch. It's a huge help when prices are going up so fast in so many other areas. And MediShare's customer satisfaction rate is double that of health insurance. It's just a different experience, and people really like that. MediShare is an alternative to health insurance. It's a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills, and it's been going strong for over 25 years. It really is the gold standard, the most trusted name in health care sharing. Find out why people love it. Find out why they rave about the customer service and Find out how good it feels to save some money right now. They're super easy to talk to. Here's the number, 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE, 833-44-BIBLE. This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. President Biden today explicitly declared that the United States would defend Taiwan in the event it is attacked by communist China. As has happened before, however, the White House promptly walked back that statement, re-establishing the sort of official strategic ambiguity that at this point can only invite such Chinese aggression. An even further inducement to the Chinese Communist Party's belligerence is a move afoot in Washington and on Wall Street that would result in U.S. military personnel and other federal government employees helping pay for it. 
The Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board is holding a public meeting tomorrow morning, and all other things being equal, it is expected to greenlight the investment of their thrift savings plan accounts in mutual funds that will include CCP companies, even sanctioned ones. Join us in opposing such underwriting of our mortal enemy at notsp4ccp.org. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. It is a basically biological chip that it is in the tablet. And once you take the tablet and dissolves into your stomach, it sends a signal that you took the tablet. So imagine the applications of that, the compliance. Uh, the insurance companies to know that the medicines that patients should take, they do take them. Uh, it is uh, fascinating what happens in, in uh, this field. It is fascinating. I'm telling you, that was Pfizer CEO Alberto Buburia. I don't want to say it. Burla. I'm not sure. Uh, he was talking about they are putting biological chips in tablets so they can track you know, the inside of you now to make sure you're compliant with what they're telling you to do. Isn't that exciting? That's really exciting. Almost exciting, as exciting as the fact that um, the Pfizer has a vaccine now for 5 to 11-year-olds and a CDC advisory uh, panel just endorsed their third dose last week. I'm not sure I got around to telling you that. So that's in spite of the fact that a young boy suffered heart inflammation and died 12 days after getting the first First dose of Pfizer. The patient had a rapid clinical course from the time they started experiencing their abdominal pain day 13 after dose one until the time they were brought into the emergency department and subsequently died was a couple of hours. That's from Dr. Tom Shimabukuro, a CDC vaccine analyst. He said that during a meeting of the CDC's advisory committee, and yet they still endorsed the third dose. You know, very trustworthy, don't you think? Just really trustworthy that uh, Albert Bourla, uh, the CEO of uh, Pfizer, you know, is so excited about this new pill that will, you know, inject and they can actually then track you because it will have a chip in it. So here's where it gets even more complicated. The FDA is supposed to decide, FDA is now to decide the next few weeks on vaccine boosters for kids under five. So the CDC has decided, now the FDA is going to decide and look out, moms and dads and grandparents and anyone of goodwill in this country. And, of course, you're hearing now a lot more about, you know, monkeypox. Monkeypox is breaking out. There must be, what, 60 cases worldwide? That's probably too much. Monkeypox, whatever it is, we'll learn. I'm sure we'll know. By next week, we'll be experts on monkeypox. But here's the deal. I just had this sent to me. There's an organization known as the Nuclear Threat Initiative, and they published a war game document uh, March of 2021, March of 2021. And guess what that war game document from the Nuclear Threat Initiative talked about and predicted why they predicted a monkeypox outbreak in May of 2022. Now, isn't that coincidental? It sounds a little bit like the COVID thing that broke out, that they had meetings in the fall of 2019, and suddenly they predicted this pandemic uh, that would come from, uh, you know, uh, 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 China. Yeah, 
How do they know these things? Because you know, you know they have their, our best interests at heart. They want us all to be healthy. They're following the science, right? Maybe they're leading the science. I think they got that backwards. Okay, so just to illustrate to you how dangerous this group of people are, I want to play a clip for you. This guy is um, Yuval Noah Hariri. Now, Yuval is, uh, let's see what he is. He is uh, the history professor at Hebrew University in Jerusalem, but he is affiliated with the World Economic Forum. Okay? Uh, I don't know what way, but that's his affiliation. So I want you to hear what he has to say, his perspective, because he's one of them, capital T, who is them? Them are, you know, the globalists who have great plans for us, the, the, the pill that has a tracker in it and controlling us and all of the countries. In fact, today is the day that the World Health Organization, uh, the Biden administration has um, signed off on giving the World Health Organization, including the head of it, a perfect autonomy to come into this country if there's another pandemic and to tell us exactly what we should be doing. And I'll talk more about that tomorrow. But meanwhile, I want you to hear uh, what Yuval Noah Hariri had to say about what's coming to us next. COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. We're now seeing mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet. Above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. I know that in recent years, we saw populist politicians undermining deliberately the trust that people have in important institutions like universities, like respectable media outlets. These populist politicians told people that, say, scientists are this small elite disconnected from the real people. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. <laughs> I'm just making notes because I want to read back to you what he just said. COVID is critical because it helped people get used to total biometric Surveillance, uh, it, uh, that tells us where we go and who we meet. Remember they did, you know, all of these tracking, they tracked you about who you were spending time with, you had to fill out all these forms. But now 
they would, they've tracked the movies that we see, where we go, you know, how we spend our money. But now we want to go deeper under the skin. We want to know your body temp, your medical condition, you know, uh, everything about you. We are acquiring divine power. And this story about Jesus, this is fake news. This is just fake news about him being the, the son of God and dying on a cross. It's fake news. Humans are now hackable animals. And uh, where, you know, you thought you could make a choice about you went, where you went to school, what you'd do with your life, what you'd like to eat, who you'd like to vote for, free will is a thing of the past. So I wanted you to hear that because I wanted you to understand the mindset. This is not, if you, you know, George Soros, I remember, I think there's a clip of this. It's a long, old clip, but it's him talking about how he feel, he's God. Uh, and I think Gates has said things similar to that. They feel empowered like they have, and they do, uh, based, uh, you know, with regular humans like you and me <laughs> who work and hard and, you know, save our money and have a house and, you know, do normal things. Uh, they have so much more power. They can crush us in a physical sense, no question about it, or bankrupt us or destroy us physically. But uh, they actually believe that they are gods. Uh, they actually believe, and you can see why in the world in the middle of this discussion would he drop in that the story about Jesus dying on the cross is fake news. Why do you think he felt compelled to do that? Because at its heart, it is still a spiritual battle. It's not about science. It's not about the development of new technology and understanding. It is about, um, you know, trying to be God like God. And, and, you know, here's the thing. You can listen to that and get frightened. And in our flesh, it's, it's certainly good to be cautious, and we need to fight back. But the truth is, they have no power over God, none whatsoever. They can say all they want, that it's a myth or fake news, but it's, they can't change it. They can, say, they can say what they want. You can say anything, but it doesn't make it true. There is a God who is omnipotent, all-powerful, the creator of everything. You know, why do the nations rage and and beat their chests in vain? Because God is in his heaven. And uh, soon Yuval will know that. And all of these scientists who fancy themselves and the George Soros of being so smart and capable, they don't have any idea what they're up against. But he is our God, and we are his people. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.